Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our evening service. We're so glad to have each one of you here tonight. Please come on in and grab your songbook and turn to song number 158. 158 as we stand together with In the Sweet By and By. All right? Let's stand, please. There's a land that is fairer than and by faith we can see it afar For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful we shall sing on that beautiful shore The melodious song of the blessed And our spirit shall sorrow no more Not a sigh for the blessings of rest In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. To our bountiful Father above, we will offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love and the blessings that hallow our day. In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore amen please remain standing for prayer brother james would you come and open us in prayer tonight Lord, we love you, dear God, and we thank you, Lord, for this good week we've had. Thank you for the privilege to come to your house this midweek service, and we thank you, Lord, for the many blessings of this life. Most of all, we thank you for that precious blood, Lord, that was shed at Calvary so that we might have eternal life. Thank you again, dear God, for that grace and that mercy. I pray that we could relay that mercy and patience to others around us. I pray tonight for Brother Mike and these teachers as they do bring that lesson, Lord, you've laid on their heart. Give them liberty, and as always, Lord, if there will be a lost soul here tonight that's never... Trust Jesus, whether they be young or old. Pray they'd step out and trust Jesus as their personal Savior. We do, Lord, continue, dear God, to pray for so many of our own on beds of illness. Pray if it be your will, you might restore them, Lord, to their much-needed health. Once again, I pray, dear God, as our people, that we could continue, dear God, to, to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. We pray the remainder of service, Lord, could be done in your honor and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're so glad to have each one of you here tonight. I'd like to take a moment and recognize any first-time visitors. If this is the first time you've ever been here, would you please raise your hand and tell us where you're from. Anyone visit? Yes, sir. Where are you folks from? We're from Amen. We're glad to have you up here with us tonight. God bless you. Anyone else? Well, that makes you your honored guest. We're so glad to have you folks with us tonight, all right? Please, everyone, go ahead and turn your cell phones off as we begin so we don't interrupt the preaching of God's Word. Nursery is also available if you need to, just down the hall to your right, all right? Turn on over to song number 349. 349, you can remain seated as we sing this old hymn, Glory to His Name, tonight. What a wonderful Savior. <clears throat> Down at the cross where my Savior died Down where for cleansing from sin I cried There to my heart was a blood applied Glory to His name Glory to His name Glory to His name There to my heart was a blood applied to his name I am so wondrously saved from sin Jesus so sweetly abides within there at the cross 
songs we sung tonight we sang uh, this afternoon at the uh, home in the sweet by and by that's always a, a good uh, good song that was written on the spur of the moment up in Wisconsin a fellow had come into his friend's store and he was kind of looked kind of depressed and down and his friend said what's wrong he said oh nothing it'll be better by and by and the guy who owned the store said well that sounds like a a, a good song. So he went over to his desk and wrote in 30 minutes the sweet by and by. Well, the fellow who came, his friend, had a violin with him. He always carried a violin with him. So he came over there and he said, what are you writing? And he says, I just wrote a, I just wrote the song, uh, wrote a song, a poem, uh, that, but you need to do the music. So right there in less than an hour in the sweet by and by was written and then the music put to it. So it's kind of a neat story there of the sweet by and by and now but uh, I, I enjoy those songs we did have a good service today uh, at dominion had a good service last night at windridge and so we appreciate your prayers and participation in that as well now of course this coming sunday morning at 10 o'clock we've got sunday school 11 o'clock preaching 6 30 evening service and then uh, uh, of course next week uh, there'll be the 4th of July. We want you to, of course, to, uh, I'm sure we're going to have visitation on the 4th of July. Yeah. No? Okay. There won't be any visitation on the 4th of July, which will be on Tuesday, I think. Uh, no. Yeah. Yes. It, it, yeah. No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it is the 4th. Okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've got some things going on in my mind, which I know is incredible, isn't it? But, um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, there'll be not any, any visitation on Tuesday the 4th. Okay, now uh, we want you to remember a week from this coming Sunday, uh, on the 9th, Faith and Courage uh, will be having their uh, luncheon. And then uh, on the 10th, on that Monday right after that, a week from tomorrow, uh, they'll be having uh, our church cookout. Our church, no, is it two weeks from tomorrow? Yeah, the 10th. Uh, of July, we'll be having the cookout. So please remember, remember those things that are going on around this. They will be at Jerry and Ann's. Uh, if you need any, uh, need to help out on that, please see the preacher and he'll take care of all that. Okay. All right. Ushers, if you would come at this time and we'll receive the offering. Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings of today. We thank you for the service that we had at uh, Dominion today as well, and, and the one we had last night. We're thankful for the visits that were made on visitation. And then, dear Lord, we, we are looking forward to tonight, to uh, our, our lesson from the book of Acts by our pastor, we're thankful for the many lessons that he has brought to us from that book, the many things that we have been able to learn, and we pray that we'll, we'll be able to learn some things again tonight that we'll apply to our everyday Christian life. Bless this offering, and Lord, we want to thank you again for your son Jesus. In his name, amen.
Somebody just wrote her name right here. I hope he can read what I wrote. I'm going to mention some folks. Well, amen. God bless you. Appreciate you being here this evening. Doesn't sound like I'm on. Am I on? Yeah, that sounds a little bit. There we go. Glad to have you with us here this evening. I'm going to give you the uh, prayer request. We're going to go over our prayer list here tonight. And then uh, Brother Mark is going to come and lead us uh, in a time of prayer. So let me just give you some updates. And then they should be bringing me uh, what they got from the, uh, the, 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 there they are. And I'll make those and then we'll, uh, we'll have our time of prayer. Okay. Uh, do uh, remember a few folks that were operated on uh, this last week and had some surgery done. I want you to pray for them, if you will. Do pray for Frank Brown as he's recuperating, and also Stephen Hall and Faye Smith. All those had surgery last week, and so do remember them. We got them on the top up there, and Susie Murphy had a procedure done at Vanderbilt, and uh, she also is recuperating. She was at church Sunday, so do pray for them. Do pray for Brother uh, Jim Rains. Brother Jim spent a little time with him yesterday, him and Miss Judy. And uh, pray for his eyesight. He is in, um, uh, he's lost one eye with glaucoma, and the other one is not doing well. And so do pray for Brother Jim, if you will. Just remember him in prayer. We sure would appreciate that and ask the Lord to help him. Also continue to pray for Pam Baker as she is going through uh, her uh, the cancer treatments. Brother Larry is here tonight all the way from L.A., Laura, Alabama. And uh, he's up here, you're moving some stuff and getting some stuff to go back. And so you do pray for them, though. Pray for Miss Pam. And pray for Sister Julie Rainey. She'll be operating on this come at tomorrow, Friday and uh, at Vanderbilt. And so do pray for her. Also pray for Cookie Street. She has another uh, heart surgery on the August 5th and spent some time with her yesterday. So do remember that. Do continue to pray for uh, Andy Hendricksman. That's Brother uh, Ted's son-in-law, as he is also just in the beginning stages of uh, figuring out what they're going to do with all his cancer. and So you do pray for that. And also Jenny Scarborough, they're doing more tests on her right now. She does have cancer. And uh, there again, they're trying to, uh, they're figuring exactly where to go and which way to go with that. And uh, so just remember these folks in prayer, if you will. Pray for Heather Hall, if you will. And uh, pray for her physically. He has a mass. That's Lisa uh, Brown's sister. And so do pray for her, if you will. Remember that in prayer. Uh, pray for Darla Burgess. That's Brother Darrell's wife. Uh, she uh, has a, a cancer a surgery tomorrow, has a tumor on her right eye. And so pray for that, if you will. And uh, they're going to operate on her tomorrow. And so do pray for Darla. And pray for Grace Brown. She had surgery on Monday. And is going to have another surgery tomorrow. And pray for Gracie, if you will, remember her in prayer. And pray for Heather Woody, has terminal cancer. And once you pray for Heather, if you will, the Lord just be with her. And remember that in prayer. And then pray for uh, Tanya Spike, if you will, has melanoma. And so do pray for that. And, and remember these folks in prayer, if you will. And just pray for our services. Brother Ted mentioned what well, the Lord's been good to us. And a lot going on last night and knocking doors and visiting as well as all of that. And the Lord's sure been good to us. And we've had camp and just been good. And let's just pray God to continue to be with us and, and help us to go forward and seeing people saved. And, and remember our services and do pray for our country. We need revival. And I'm convinced it will start in churches like this with God's people seeking God's face. And so remember that. And then we make the unspoken request, if you will, by the upraised hand. And as many of you can and will, let's gather around the altar. And Brother Mark's going to come and, and uh, lead us in prayer. And then I'll have our Bible study. And so let's pray God to just be with us and, and help us tonight. And remember these things, if you will. Pray for Sister Carol Courtney. I wrote her down here and about forget that. Sister Carol had all of her teeth removed. And she's in quite a bit of pain. So do remember Miss Carol, if you will. And remember that. And Brother Mark, there's those and that. And I'll leave that for you. God bless you. Thank you. All right, let's go to Lord in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful that you're always available when we come to you. You're never too busy. You're never too tired. You always care, and you're always able to help. And it's such a blessing to have 
you to turn to in our time of need. And Lord, we want to thank you tonight for your blessings and ask you to make us truly thankful. Lord, we are so blessed and so many times we take for granted all the things that you do for us. Think of our nation tonight, Lord. We're coming up on a celebration again of our anniversary for our country. And even though we've gone a long ways from where we should be and were at one time, we thank you, Lord, for our country and for the freedoms and liberties that we yet enjoy. And I do pray, Lord, that you'd bless our country. I do pray, Lord, that you'd send a revival how we need it so badly. And I ask, Lord, that you would just help us as a nation, individuals, that we'd look to you for our help and instead of looking to the world and the things of this world. I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd be with our missionaries. We thank you for those that are serving you around the world. I think of uh, Dr. David Gibbs, our Missionary of the Week, and the Christian Law Association. Pray you'd be with them especially and bless them. Thank you for the great work that they do in our country and others, Lord, just uh, helping us to preserve our li religious liberties. I pray that you would give them wisdom and strength, supply their needs. Lord, we do pray tonight that you'd be with those that are sick and afflicted. We have a long list of folks, Lord, that uh, almost almost hard to keep up with them all. And yet, Lord, you know every one of them, and not just know their names, but you know every hair on their head. And, you know their needs, their sorrows, their pains, their joys, their hopes. I pray, Lord, you'd be with each one of these that are on our prayer list. We think of uh, Billy Brown tonight. Just ask that you'd be uh, with this one and put your hand upon them and just bless. Pray for Charles and June Wetzel, Lord, that you would help them. Dear sweet folks, I just pray that you would give them strength and health. Pray for Diane Maynard. Pray, Lord, for uh, Danny and... Masetta Nixon, just ask that you'd meet their needs according to your will. Pray for Willie Long. I know she's been on the list for quite some time. Just ask that you would help and encourage and strengthen this dear lady. Pray for Raymond Webb. I pray for Eddie and Vicki Padron. I ask you, Lord, that you'd bless them and help them with their physical needs and just uh, strengthen and encourage them. Uh, Dora McGinn, pray that you'd be with her. Pray for Marcy, that you would help her to continue, and thank you for what you've done for her. Pray for Brother Junior Isom. Just ask, Lord, that you'd help his foot to heal. I know it's been a long battle. Just pray you'd encourage and strengthen these dear folks. Pray for Larry and Rita Chambers tonight, Lord, another sweet couple that just uh, continue to serve you in the midst of difficulties and trials. I pray that you would help uh, Brother Larry's foot, especially that it would heal properly and that you would alleviate the pain that he has. I pray for Mandela Vandeford, that you'd meet her needs. Pray for Jill Hall, that you'll continue to be with her. We're thankful that you have helped her so far and just pray you'll continue to be with her. Pray for our brother Ted Woody, that you would help him and bless him, strengthen him and encourage him as only you can do. Pray for Gloria Lloyd. Pray for Harold Curley. Brother Frank Brown was mentioned. We just pray that you would uh, be with him. And Stephen Hall, Lord, just uh, have your hand upon this dear man and bless him as only you can. Pray for Faye Smith. Lord, we pray tonight for Jim Raines. I know he has trouble with his eyes and seeing. I just pray that you would help him and bless him. Pray for Susie Murphy. Lord, we pray for uh, the John Long family. It's lost loved one. We just pray that you would comfort them. And Lord, be in their midst and, and, and give them grace. I pray, Lord, for Ann Curley. We thank you for her being able to go home, and I just pray that you would help her to continue to recover. Pray for Carol Horton, who was mentioned tonight, that you'd be with her. Pray for Brother Ted's uh, son-in-law, Andy Hendricksman. We just ask that you'd be with him and their family. Uh, Lord, just uh, what seems a tragedy to us, and yet, Lord, you have all these things planned in your will, and I pray that you would help them and encourage them and strengthen them as only you can. Pray for Janie Scarborough that was mentioned tonight. Lord, meet her needs and help her. Pray for Pam Baker. I know she's been through a lot and just ask that you would help her. And thank you for how you brought her this far. And just pray that you continue to bless and work in her life. Pray for Vicki Street that was mentioned tonight and Grace Brown. Lord, we just pray that you'd be with each and every one of these. Tanya Spinch that was mentioned tonight. We just pray that you would help her meet her needs. Pray for Heather Woody was mentioned, Lord, uh, again with cancer. We just pray that you would help and meet as only you can. Lord, so many. 
and yet you know each one, and we pray that your hand would be upon each one of them and bless them. Now, Lord, for those of us that are here, we, we have our health and strength, are able to be here, but Lord, we're needy people. We need a touch from heaven. We need you to speak to our hearts from your word tonight. Do pray for our pastor and his family. Lord, watch over them, keep them safe, bless them, strengthen him, help him as he studies, give him wisdom and fill him with your spirit. Help each of us to love and support him and the work that you're doing here. Father, bless tonight, speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Appreciate you being here tonight. You have your Bible, Acts chapter 21, the 21st chapter of the book of Acts. I'll say this as you're turning there, verse number 1. Every once in a while when I'm teaching and preaching, especially verse by verse, and it's probably my favorite of all times, just expository preaching, taking a passage of Scripture and teaching verse by verse. But when I'm doing certain passages, I'll come across a passage and I'm a little... Not a little, a lot intimidated by it. And Acts 21 is one of those passages. You're going to find here that the Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And I think he's in a great struggle. Not necessarily a struggle with himself, as the struggle is with everybody around him. And uh, you're going to find in these 40 verses, and I may cover all of them tonight. I know y'all don't think that's possible. But uh, th this whole thing fits together. And you're going to see his struggle. Now you're going to see a struggle. Uh, he knows God's will. At least in my mind, he knows God's will. He got it settled in chapter 20, and we'll go back to that at one point tonight and look at it. But you're going to find that other people are not settled with it. And sometimes the will of God, we're all excited when we know God's will, and it's something easy and something good, and you see what God's doing in our lives. Boy, we're all, we're all for that. But whenever that you look at the will of God and you know it's hard and it's not settled, it's uh, not something easy, it's going to be hard in your life, boy, those are hard times, it's a struggle. And whenever you get settled with it yourself, the other people are not settled with it. And that's what's happening here. The Apostle Paul is settled that he's going to Jerusalem. He's settled that when he gets there, he's going to be imprisoned. He's settled that he may die there. And he's going anyhow. But the further he goes and the more people that are advising him not to go, <laughs> uh, the harder it gets. And he, there's a struggle there. Even when he gets to Jerusalem and he finally gets there and he meets with James and the elders, there's still a struggle to maintain a, a solid testimony and do what God's told him to do. And we're going to see all of this play out in these 40 verses of chapter 21. Now, we'll pick up some things, I hope, as we go through there, uh, that God will help us with it. And so before I actually begin reading, I want you to go back to chapter 20, in verse 22 through 24, and I want you to notice something. Now, I dealt with this last week, and, and so I don't want it to seem repetitious, but I do need to establish a point. And so in chapter 20 and verse 22, and now... Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and a ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the, uh, the gospel of the grace of God. Now here's great truth. The Apostle Paul has uh, determined to go to Jerusalem. He's actually determined to get there before the Jewish feast of Pentecost. And he's determined to be there at a certain time. And above this, he has went from Troas to Azos by foot. And he sent everybody else uh, in his company, Luke, and that uh, is writing this. And the, the bunch with him he sent by ship. 
from, from Troas to Azos, as we seen last week, was about 31 miles. There was a Roman road there. It's about 21 miles. There's a crow flies straight there, but about 31 miles on a Roman road. Probably took him two days to make that journey. And when he comes on that journey, then he says what we just read. He has been on this journey by himself. The Holy Ghost has been dealing with him. That as he gets to, when he gets to Jerusalem, there's bonds and afflictions waiting for him. Now he knows that's going to take place. God has revealed that to him. And yet he has already settled that none of these things move me. He wants to go to Jerusalem. He's going to witness to the Jews, which even though he was the apostle of the Gentiles, he still has this great desire. I mean, the book of Romans, he says he wished himself a curse for his kinsmen in the flesh, the Jews. He has a great desire to win these, these uh, Jews, his kinsmen to Christ. If you bear in mind that he has been uh, had all kinds of trouble from the Jews as he's uh, in every city that he's preached uh, and, and spread the gospel and seen thousands of converts, and especially the Gentile converts. But he has a great desire to go to Jerusalem. Now, as I studied this and came to this 21st chapter, this part of Acts chapter 20 settles in my heart that Paul was not wrong in going. I guarantee you start looking this up, and sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. But you'll see a lot of folks that write that they think he should not have went, that it was uh, out of God's will. I don't believe that. I believe he was in God's will. I believe he knew what he was doing. And I believe it was hard for other folks to watch him go and be bound, and they did not want it. And yet the Holy Ghost is surely witnessing it, not only to Paul, but to those folks that are uh, his friends and to the other folks. And we'll see a lot of that in chapter 21. So it's going to move a little faster tonight than I normally do because there's portions of Scripture that move to that to one of those points and then we'll see some of it there and, and, and we'll learn some things that ought to help us in our own life. There are times in all of our lives that we're exactly where God wants us and yet there's problems. We're exactly where God desires us to be, and yet there's persecution and tribulation and things that we really don't understand, and we may never really understand all of it until we get to heaven. Those things should not move us. We ought to have our mind made up, like Paul did here, that we're going to serve God and do what's right, no matter come what may. And you're going to see that in, in chapter 21. We're going to see Paul's great struggle, and he had a struggle. And, and sometimes you and I struggle in life, even though we're doing the right thing. And just because that we're having struggles doesn't mean we're wrong. And, and just because it's hard and what's happening to us is, is hard doesn't mean we're wrong. No more than Paul was wrong here. So we start in verse number 1. Verse number 1 says, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them... And it launched, we came with a straight course unto cause, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence to Patera, and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went abroad and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and sailed into Syria, and landing at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid of her burden. Now, in those first three verses, we find that uh, they've now left where they were uh, there uh, uh, preaching, where he was preaching and leaving, and, and he's trying to get there. He's left Asia, and he's really, really trying to get to Jerusalem. He just gives a real quick course. And you find they're on their way there. They've left those of Asia. They've had a prayer meeting there, and he's left them. Uh, and, and, and at the end of chapter 20, he's left them. And now he's on a straight course. And now he's in Syria, uh, where uh, you remember in Antioch was where the Christians were uh, first called, uh, the disciples first called Christians. And he's in Syria, and he's there now. And uh, he, he's, he's headed with a straight course to Jerusalem. And, and so he knows what he's doing. He's done established his heart, he's done settled no matter what happens. And so in verse number four, you're going to find this struggle begins. 
I don't think within himself the struggle is with others. And, 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 and let me say this before we read verse 4. And I've touched on it, but I want to make something clear. Sometimes in life, uh, you, you're serving God and you're doing what God wants you to do. And, and you're going to find yourself in a hard situation, whether it be a physical situation, whether it be something spiritual, uh, whether it be some persecution. You're going to find yourself somewhere. And, and the only person that can settle that you're where God wants you to be is you. There's great truth in that. There are some times in your life that you're going to have to settle that I am where God wants me, even though this is a difficult place and a difficult situation. And there's going to be people that love you. And there's going to be people that's going to try to tell you give you some advice not to do what you're doing or to change places or to go somewhere else or to do something different. And that's not always the answer. You have to be settled in your heart that you're doing what God wants you to do. You settle it with Scripture. You settle it by the Holy Spirit guiding you in the Word of God. And once you get that settled, you're going to have to go forward. And you will still find a struggle because people around you that love you will not want you to go through what you're going through. And there's always going to be things you're going to try to help you with, but you're going to have to decide that. Now, I've lived long enough now that I've had some pretty good struggles. And I've pastored long enough now that I've had some situations that I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do, regardless of what the outcome was. And, and in everyday life, you're going to have that. And you're going to have to settle your mind, get it in your own heart, that everything in life you pray and you seek, the Lord guiding you from the Scripture, and you have peace that you're doing what God wants you to do, and then no matter what happens in that journey, you've already made that mind up. And so Paul has done that in the first three verses. He's on his way. He's settled it. Nothing's going to move him. Verse 4, And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. Now they're at Syria. They're at actually the city of Tyre and Sidon, which was... Uh, two cities on the coast there. Tyre actually had a port. You found Jesus often ministered in those cities and talked about them. And, and so he's there at Tyre now, and they find some disciples. And it says, And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now Paul settled he's going. And now you got these people telling him, Ah, boy, you're, you're going to be in trouble if you go up there. You're going to be in trouble. If you go there, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to have some bad things happen. He already knew that. Now, I, I thought about this today as I was studying this and coming back and trying to get all this in my heart. You know what, what I think this is akin to? I think it's akin to the Lord Jesus Christ. As he's about to go to the cross and he tells the disciples he's going to be crucified and what's going to happen to him. And Peter takes him and says, Lord, that should not happen to you. Remember? And the Lord rebukes him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things of God, but the things of men. And I think this is akin to that, that Paul has done settled in his heart what God has settled for him. And he has it settled. And here these folks are. There are some disciples. And no doubt, uh, he's at a, a Gentile city. Uh, they're Gentiles for the most part. He is the apostle of the Gentiles. They've, uh, they've heard him preach. He has, has helped them greatly. And they're not wanting this to happen to him. They know it's going to happen because God's revealed it even to them. And so they're trying to get him not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 5. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed and when we had taken our leave one another, we took ship and they returned home again. Now there's an interesting passage. It's very detailed. He has been here at Tyre for seven days. Uh, and, and they know that he is headed to Jerusalem. And that he is going to have bonds and imprisonment. They're trying to persuade him not to go, but he's going to go anyhow. And I'll just throw this in for good measure. Every time you see the word, and we, or the company of, of Paul, it's talking about Luke and those that were with him. Luke wrote this. 
God used him by inspiration to write it. And so it's talking about those folks. And so here they are. They, after seven days, they leave. And all of those disciples of Tyre, their families, did you notice it says with their wives and children? It's their families. They go with Paul. They go to the shore as far as they could go with him. And they have a prayer meeting there and they kneel down and they pray and then they, they take their leave one of another. Now in that context, it's a context. It's not that he's just, uh, that they're just going with him. There's a, there's a very emotional situation taking place here. They know that he's going to Jerusalem. And they know that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be imprisoned. And, and they don't know all that's going to be done to him there. He could be killed. They, they don't know. They just know that if he goes to Jerusalem, that the Holy Spirit is already revealed to them and to him that there's persecution and troubles ha- going to happen. These folks have benefited from the ministry of the Apostle Paul in a very personal way. They follow him as far as they can go. And they have a prayer meeting with him. And then they take their leave one of another and they say some things to one another that's not recorded to us here and they all go home then. By the way, let me throw something in for good measure. I thought about it as I was going through all of that. Boy, isn't it a good thing that you and I, if you've had any length of Christian life at all, God has used some people to help you in your Christian walk. He has. He's used some men and some women to to encourage you and to challenge you from a time that you were converted until to that. And He's used some people to help you. And and, uh, if you've had any length of time on you there again, some of those folks have already went home to be with with the Lord. And and I can name some of them. Listen, Charlie Shaver, the man led me to Christ. God used him in my life greatly. Matter of fact, because of my conversion, it's, it's benefited my family greatly. There's no doubt about that. I preached Brother Charlie's funeral and his wife's funeral. I, when Miss Ozell went to be home with the Lord after Brother Charlie did. And, and I know it was God's will for, for him to go, and it was his time to go. But I'm telling you, uh, if God had asked me, I'd say, no, why don't you leave him here for a while? You understand what I'm saying? Not only lead me to Christ, uh, Charlie... Uh, Charlie taught me how to be a soul winner. I remember the first time I went soul winning, Brother Charlie. Never forget it. Uh, I was just uh, uh, 18, 19 years old, and he called me up one day, one day and he said, uh, I'm going to pick you up Thursday night, and I want you to go with me somewhere. He said, I'm, there's a man that's lost. I want to win him to Christ. And he said, I just need you to go and pray with me. Sounded good enough and easy enough. And so he picks me up on a Thursday night, like he said he would, and we drive out here and down Highway 70 and go down uh, back toward uh, uh, Homestead there off the road a little bit and get in the guy's house. And, and I don't know the family. I don't know the guy. I'm just a kid. You understand? And I'm sitting here doing what he's told me to do. I'm praying. And he's talking to this guy. And then all of a sudden he says, Now, Brother Mike here has got something he wants to say to you. And I thought, Really? <laughs> I don't have anything I want to say. I was coming to listen to you. And I looked at him. He said, he wants to tell you how to go to heaven. And I had my Bible and opened up my Bible. And I went through the gospel and seen a fellow saved. I can't tell you how many times that was repeated. I thought about it the other day. I was driving down the road over here, just coming back to church. And I remember riding him one day and some kid riding a bicycle down the road. And he pulled over and stopped the kid and says, Hey, this is Mike Curley. He wants to tell you something. I thought, (laughs) And where he went? You know what he was doing? He was teaching me how to win souls and how to be ashamed of it. He was telling me how to be afraid of it. It's a better word than being ashamed. I never was ashamed of it. He was teaching me how to have no fear of it. And I miss Brother Charlie. Charlie's been in heaven a lot of years now. All I'm trying to say is these people felt that toward Paul. I can name you other people in my life that God's used that way. He used Brother Horace White to teach me compassion. I told a preacher friend of mine the other day, if it was not for Brother White, I don't know that I would have compassion. Some of y'all probably don't think I do anyhow. But it'd be a lot worse if it wasn't for Brother Horace White. I can assure you of that. 
And so I, when, when we're reading this text, what's taking place here is these people, they, they don't want him to go to Jerusalem. They don't want to lose him. But they know they're going to. And that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. All right, so, so in these first six verses, we see that. Now we come to verse 7 through 14. We're going to see him as he's staying in the house of Philip the Evangelist. That's an interesting phrase. We'll deal with that just in a moment we get there. Verse number 7 says, And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came uh, to Potolomus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. So they come and they're still going towards Jerusalem and they come to a city and they salute the brethren and Paul's probably doing as he's done all through this journey. He's teaching them, he's confirming them, he's giving them doctrine and then they're moving on. Verse number 8. And the next day we that were of Paul's company, there's that phrase again, uh, departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And by the way, there's a whole lot to describe Philip there in that eighth verse, describes who he is. Number one says, Philip the Evangelist, which is one of the seven. Now what that's making reference to, you go all the way back to, uh, to the first deacons that they chose in chapter 6, in my mind, and uh, the book of Acts. And Philip was one of the seven, and it said about him he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And you find that God used him in chapter 8 in Samaria, seeing a great revival, probably hundreds if not thousands saved. And we, we, we lost sight of him at the end of chapter 8 when he led the eunuch to the Lord to baptize him there uh, in the desert. And then the Lord took him away. Y'all remember all that. And so here he's, he stays in the house of this man Philip, who's been a believer for many, many years, been greatly used of God. He's an evangelist. I like that phrase. Every once in a while, we had Brother Richard Harper here the other day. Brother Richard's one of my friends. He's an evangelist. He doesn't pastor a church. Uh, he never has pastored and probably never will pastor. He's an evangelist. And he goes from church to church and from city to city. And he's helping pastors and helping churches. He's encouraging them. He's lifting them up. He's helping them. Boy, there's a great need for evangelists. And as a matter of fact, as I read this phrase and I think about evangelists and and I don't know many young evangelists, brother. I know some older ones. And really it's important that we pray that God call evangelists like we do missionaries and like we do pastors and other workers in the church. There needs to be men of God that God is called to be an evangelist. Here's a man of God, Philip, it's an evangelist. Uh, we, we have some different folks that come through here. Uh, John Hamblin's an evangelist and he comes through here. He's never pastored, uh, but he's an evangelist. I have other guys that come and preach here. Uh, Shelton Smith, he is an evangelist now, but he was a pastor for many years. And now he's over the soul of the Lord. He's my friend. He'll come and he'll preach here. But the truth of the matter is, this is an evangelist. And you find, uh, we, we know about him now. Now, we see something else in verse 9 about Philip that speaks volumes about his family. And I want you to notice this. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Here's... A man that has four virgins, daughters. Philip has, I don't know if he had any sons. I don't really think so. They'll be listed here. And uh, he has been an evangelist, and he has these daughters, and they are godly women. And, and so uh, they come and they stay in his house. And they're with Philip, and he entertains them. And uh, they're going to see some things. And uh, I thought of one other thing. Just let me run a rabbit trail here just a little bit. Uh, thought of one other thing here. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I uh, have often benefited from, I guess, and one way to put it, uh, I know we have a good prophet's chamber here, and we have folk come through here, and I put them, we put them in that prophet's chamber. But from time to time, Elizabeth and I have some of these folks in our house. And it's help. It's a good help if you can have some of these folks in your house and you can fellowship with them and you can learn from them and see that, first of all, they're, uh, they're people just like you and I that serve the Lord and they love the Lord and you'll find things about them. And boy, every once in a while, I just like to have some of these folks at my house. And uh, for no other reason than this kind of fellowship that they had together here. There's great truth in that uh, and, and, and just an interesting fact. Verse number 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named 
Agabus. Now stop just a minute. You remember Agabus? We've already met him back in the first of the book of Acts. Uh, they were having great revival and Agabus comes and God's using him to, uh, to help uh, spread the gospel. But he also gives him a little insight. There's going to be a, a great dearth and he preached that. It came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar, if you remember the text back earlier in the book of Acts. This same man now comes. He comes to the house of, 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 uh, of Philip. Paul and the company are there and Agabus comes and he does something. He does something that's uh, in verse number 11. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, by the way, we're about to read something else in just a month, the next verse down. To this point, everybody that's trying to dissuade Paul from going to Jerusalem, that we read about at least, has been the people he's coming to. I mean, the, all of these churches that he's planted and all of these folks. But now Agabus comes, and they're, not, they're close to Jerusalem now. He comes down from Judea, and he comes to the house of Philip. And he takes Philip's girdle, belt-like thing, and he binds his hands and his feet. And he says, the man that owns this is going to be bound to Jerusalem and he's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. Now something happens when he does that. And I want you to notice this next passage and you'll find something in verse number 12. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now I want you to notice verse number 12. It's not just the people there with Philip. It's not just those folks. He says, and both we... You see that? So now Luke and all of those people of his company say, Boy, Paul, you've been saying this for quite a while. And, and you're settled with it, but we're, we're asking you not to go to Jerusalem. We don't want you to be bound there. We don't want you to be imprisoned there. And so now everybody that is around him is saying, please do not go to Jerusalem. You're going to find some hardship when you go there. By the way, it's hard for us to really put some of this together. I thought about that. I'm going to read this next verse and you'll see something what Paul says. And part of the reason I believe it was God's will and he was not out of God's will in doing what he did this next verse. But you know, every once in a while, uh, you'll, you'll find folks that agree to do things for God that other people don't want them to do. Now that's hard for us here because we're probably not going to do that. I remember uh, John and Sarah, they're back here now. They're back here in our church. But they were the first missionaries that were raised in our church and sent out of our church. I remember when John and Sarah made their first missionary journey to a trip, just sort of finding God's will. They went to Bradley Edmondson. They went to Honduras. And they were going down there just as they knew. I knew at that time. They had told nobody else. I didn't tell Elizabeth. I didn't tell nobody. I didn't tell anybody. But I knew John and Sarah went to Honduras for one reason. Not just for a short-term missionary trip. They were going down there to see if that's where God wanted them to stay. And I knew that. I knew that. And they went to, to Honduras and they were there with that uh, medical missions group and seen some great things, seen some people saved and got a burden for Honduras and came back. And I knew when they came back because they talked to me, that's where God wants us to go. They started researching Honduras. They started praying about where to go and they decided to go to El Progreso. First thing that popped up if you look at, if you Google El Progreso, murder capital of the world. First thing pops up. Per capita, more people are killed in El Progreso than any place in the world. And you thought it was America. Well, anyhow. Because <laughs> of a liberal media we have. And it was interesting. They start telling people they want to go to, that they're going to Honduras and they're going to El Progreso. They don't tell them that. But people begin to Google that. And some people say, you sure that's where God wants you to go? 
You sure that God wants you to go to El Progreso? You probably need to go somewhere else. You mean you're going to take your babies to El Progreso? You're going to, you're going to take them there? You see, I can understand what's happening here. Paul knows exactly. John and Sarah understand it better than I do. Uh, nobody's ever, listen, I've never left Crossville. Nobody's ever tried to beg me. They probably, people tried to beg me to leave. But, uh, uh, you know, there's nobody trying to get me to not go somewhere. They understand that. And so there are still times when I've dealt with folks, and they're not the only ones. I mean, we've had several couples out of our church, young couples of our church leave and go somewhere. And, well, there's always people questioning, surely, surely, surely God don't want you to do that. That's what's happening to Paul here. Everybody is now asking him not to go. But watch now the next thing, the next verse. And you see in verse 13. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now notice that. You see, this is part of, the, of, of this 21st chapter where I, I, I believe that uh, Paul's not out of God's will. He knows what he's doing. He, he's one of our great apostles. He's not being stubborn and, and here. He's not casting himself off the pinnacle of the temple and doing something rash and outside of the will of God. And he asked me, saying, well, what are you doing? What are you breaking my heart for? What are you making me weep? All of you begging me not to go somewhere. You love me and I love you and, and, I know what's, and, 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 and I know what's happening here, but I know what God's will is. I know that when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be bound. But you need to understand, I'm ready to die also. I, I'm not just ready to be put in prison. I settled on the road between Troas and Azos. I settled that I'd die also if that's what God wants me to do. For the name of Jesus. You see, the truth of the matter is, all through Christianity, there's been people who have died for the name of Christ. There have been missionaries, and there's been people that died and were martyred, and sometimes there would have been easier routes, and they could have, they could have made decisions that wouldn't have gotten them in trouble, and they could have maybe not took the stands they took, and they could have done something else, but they did what they did for the name of Christ. And part of the reason that we find this in the Word of God is a challenge, encourage you and I to do the right thing no matter what the cost. And by the way, no matter who's trying to talk you out of it, even if it's people that love you, it's not his enemies trying to talk him out of it here. It's the people that love him. It's not people that's against what he's doing. It's people that support what he's doing. But they're trying to talk him out of it. And you're going to find sometimes you're doing the right thing, and especially if it's dangerous, especially if it's like it's going to cost somebody's life, or especially if it's going to hurt something. There's going to be well many people that love you. That love you. That's going to try to get you not to do it. For one reason, just because they love you. And that's going to be a hard thing. Paul says, you're, you're breaking my heart. You're causing me to weep. I'm still going. No matter what's true, I'm still going. I'm still going. I keep reading the text. Verse 14. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. Now there's a great little phrase right there. You ought to underline that 14th verse. And, and you, ought to, you ought to watch something. When they could not persuade him, they ceased. And I want you to notice what they said, because to me, it's another one of these passages in this text that says, Paul was where God wanted him, and they say, the Lord's will be done. They don't say, well, you're out of God's will, go up and die. That's not what they said. You see, they understand that he's prayed about this thing. They understand that he's settled this thing. And finally they say, okay, God's will be done. I thought about this passage too, and I know the Apostle Paul is not Jesus. I understand that. I know that he is a human being like the rest of us. I understand that. But he was a great man of God of great faith, probably greater than any of us will ever, 
come anywhere close to. This is akin to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. And Paul is, to this point, he's like, listen, I know what God's will is. I know that when I go there, I'm going to be bound. I know that I could die there. And I'm ready. I'm ready. By the way, do you, do you not recognize that in one sense, every one of us as Christians ought to have that kind of resolve in our heart that we're going to do what God wants us to do no matter if we die doing it. No matter what it costs. We're going to do what is right. No matter the cost. And finally, all of those folks that loved him so much ceased trying to get him to go and just simply said, okay, the Lord's will be done. Because they knew that that was God's will. Because Paul had made that very, very clear to him. So he's headed to Jerusalem in God's will. I keep reading. Next verse. Verse 15. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. Now, by the way, that was an interesting little phrase to me. I, I, I always tell you, if you don't know what a word means in the Scripture, you don't know what the Scripture means. And it says, we took up our carriages. It didn't say we went up into carriages. You see that word carriages, carriage, we would think that's something pulled by a horse or something to get it there. That's not what that is. Uh, that, that carriage there is really making ma- reference to luggage or baggage. And, and so he says, you know what, after many days, you know what we did? We went as far as we could go by, land, by sea. And now we're going to Jerusalem. And from this point where they were at there to, and, uh, to Jerusalem was about uh, 70 miles inland. And so what they're doing here now, they take up their, their carriages. They take up their luggage. They, and they start carrying it. And they start walking to Jerusalem. So get the picture. They've tried to persuade him not to go. But he's going anyhow because it's God's will. Now here's an interesting thing that happens. At this point, in that verse we just read, they don't look at him and say, well, we don't like what you're doing, just have at it. They go with him. Isn't that interesting? They go with him. They go with him. They know that By the way, if we go with him and he gets arrested and he gets imprisoned because we're with him by association, we could be arrested and we could be put in prison also. But we're not letting him go alone. And the boldness of Paul emboldens them. Now there's a great truth in that. Every once in a while... God deals with our hearts. And it's not just our hearts and our lives that are being touched, but it's those around us. And if we will just do the right thing and take courage and do it, others will do the right thing also. When I'm reading that passage, I remember dealing with some folks one time that got themselves in trouble. And one of the guys said to me, he said, Preacher, if one of us had have done the right thing, the rest of us, would have fallen. Great truth in that. And here you find the Apostle Paul has stood his ground in this text to this point, not against unbelievers, not against the unbelieving Jews, not against the Sanhedrin. He has stood his ground against people that love him, trying to get him not to do what he knows the will of God is. So he does the will of God. And you know what? There's a great company that follows him. That's going to list some of that. It's going to tell you some of this other stuff that's going on. And, and, and so, uh, you'll, uh, verse number 16. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one Manasseh of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. Now that's interesting. Verse 16, it's not just them. I mean, here's some of the people of Caesarea now that say, oh, I... If you're going to Jerusalem and you think it's God's will 
and you know that you're going to be arrested, and you know that something's going to happen to you. It's not just the company that Paul had with him. It's some of those folks from Caesarea and one other fellow, Manasseh, that the Bible calls an old disciple. It's an interesting thing. This man was probably converted at the very, very first, maybe in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost or somewhere else. But he's an old disciple. And he's been serving God for a long time. He has a house there in Jerusalem. And he said, I tell you what, we're going to go there and you're going to, y'all are going to stay in my house. So here, here's this crowd. I thought about that as I was going through this today. Don't you know they had a good time going to Jerusalem? I, they, they know something. As the world sees this bad is about to happen when they get there. But don't you know that they've had a good time on their way there just letting and listening to the Apostle Paul as he talks and advises and as they walk the, that distance, is a pretty good distance, took them several days to cover that 71 miles. And now they're going and you know what they're doing? They've got a purpose in mind just to serve God that the name of Jesus will be uplifted when they get there. Now I want you to notice the next couple of verses. I'm back out as far as I can go tonight because there's something I want to deal with. But we'll see something else. Verse 17. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Oh, by the way, no matter if you go somewhere where it doesn't look like it's going to be, there'll always be somebody there that needs you. And there'll always be somebody that'll receive you gladly. There's truth in that. By the way, I mentioned John and Sarah already tonight. When John and Sarah got to Honduras, there were some folks that needed him there and received him gladly. Very truth in that. You'll, you'll find God never does anything that he's not in. There's always a purpose in it. We may not see it, and we may just be looking at the imprisonment, but there were some other things that needed to be done. So they go there, and when they get there, they're not immediately, he's not immediately arrested. He's not immediately put in jail. They're received by the brethren gladly, and they begin to seduce something else, verse 18. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are zealous of the law. Now, I'm going to stop there just a minute. I'm going to stop there for tonight. But I want you to notice something. They get there, and the first thing to do is they go into James. Now, I believe that's the brother of Jesus, because James, the brother of John, had already been killed way back early, if you remember, in the book of Acts. And... Uh, uh, he, so here he is, they go in, and there's the elders, and they're meeting together. And they let Paul tell them all that God has done through him in the ministry of the Gentiles, and the, the ones that have been saved, and the churches that have been planted, and what all God has used him for. And they rejoice in that. They rejoice in it. Now next week we're going to pick back up in verse 20, because... Not only do they rejoice in it, they know there's problems with Paul being in Jerusalem, and now they're, they're, they're a little apprehensive about what's about to take place. And sometimes in the very midst of rejoicing in the work of God and the things that are going on, there's also apprehension for what's around the corner. And we're going to see that next week, and we're going to see the apprehension and what... I think bad advice they gave to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see some things. But he's at Jerusalem. I think he's in God's will, where God wants him to be, and God's greatly used. And there's a lot of things that I can learn from this that will help me to be more steadfast in my service and my walk for my Lord. What a great, great truth. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight. And as... Uh, uh, we hear the invitation is going to be like this. Or maybe somebody here tonight and you say, Preacher, if I died right now, I'm not certain that I go to heaven. And we give this invitation to you all to come to an old-fashioned altar. But you know, mostly tonight, on this Wednesday night, there's probably believers here. Maybe God's dealt with your heart about something. Maybe there's something you've been struggling with and you've just 
sort of got it clear tonight that what I need to do is just keep doing what God wants no matter what the outcome. I'm just going to keep serving God no matter what. Maybe tonight you just got a burden about something you need to pray about. Well, these altars are open. We've got personal workers here to take a word of God and pray with you and deal with you and answer your questions. Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be able to come and have this time. Pray you'll be with this invitation. Please use it for your glory and for your honor. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Won't you stand to your feet and keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please, unless you're coming to an old-fashioned altar. Piano's playing. And as the piano's playing, if you need to come for any reason, any reason whatsoever, will you come? Father, we want to come before you here this evening thanking you once again for the Word of God that so aptly guides our lives. Father, I pray you'll help us tonight to take some truths from the Word of God to challenge.